Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Lalan. Lawson. Lawson. And a very special welcome to producer Taylor today. Yes, who is... Spending some time learning the ropes, getting it done. She's in here with producer Shell. Pushing the mute Two of them buttons together. Just, just living their best lives. Yes, that's awesome. We kind of have is. like a division: the guys' side and the and the girls' yeah, side. There's a piece of glass in between us. Yeah, that's right. We can see them, but we kind of got our own Bullet, thing. Soundproof glass. Is it bulletproof? <laughs> no, it's soundproof. <laughs> oh, it might be. I don't know. It's pretty. <laughs> it thick. looks pretty, pretty thick. Heavy. Do we need that? Maybe we are are you scared for your life? Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Producer Shell on the other side there. <laughs> well, I think that if you guys are saying that you're the ones who are allowed to talk and we're not, then there might be a problem. Oh, oh okay, 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 okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. There's a microphone on the other side of Did the Did there need though. to be the inference Here's of the physical violence the against my life, though? Uh, I don't know. Uh, see, this, the thing is that the, the mute button is on the other side of the Yeah, that's wall, right. So. But then if they mute us, then what, are they going to talk? <laughs> that was so rough. That was a, that was a rough joke. Uh, but ladies are in control. <laughs> I love how you didn't laugh at my joke, Lyle, and now I seem like a... Like an awful person. But anyways, <laughs> what are you grateful for this morning? I, I'm I'm grateful that Taylor's here learning the ropes. Yeah, that's I think, awesome. I think it's awesome. Yeah. yeah, we have more people in rotation who can help out and you know get the show Run the done. Show. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. professional job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We're about to have positively different news. Before we do, the quiz is starting. All right. Uh, first clue for the quiz. This is a who am I quiz, as we've been doing. We've been talking about people. And the first clue is, two of my wives were Hittite women named Judith and Basimath. Ba- Basimath. Um, this guy had two wives, so he was uh, his life was doubly as hard. And uh, he... Uh, <laughs> No, I think I think two wives <laughs> makes your life just 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 hard. It's just hard. It's just it's more like, difficult. Like just you know, it would go up by the. It's like an exponential scale. Yeah, and it's yeah. an exponential scale yeah. of difficulty. That's right. So relationships can be challenging. Some relationships are not, but you know, most relationships require a bit of work. But in that kind of circumstance, two wives, you're never going to make that work. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. There's rough. never going to be harmony in that home. But if you know who this guy's, you know who who this person is, who had these these two wives, these Hittite women, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call. And if you call or text that an- that number with the correct answer, you will go in the draw to win our weekly prize, which is the Bibliopoly board game, as we've been promoting. Um, it's basically Monopoly, but instead of working against each other, you work together. And when you work together, uh, you can, yeah, make your way um, through the game and enable each other to, like, build churches and do all these epic things. So, Bibliopoly, again, that question was, two of my wives, or this clue was, two of my wives were Hittite women named Judith and Basimath. If you know who that is, 0491-064-669. Give us a call, give us a text, say, may I enter the quiz? And uh, your entry will be put in. And if you're the first person through, you will get two entries to the uh, to the draw. Fantastic stuff. Let's have some positively different news this morning. So positively different news. I have a bunch of different stories that are kind of coming from all over the place. I wanted to mention this one first. It's a little bit more lighthearted. Um, and that is that a survey was just done that says more than half of uh, Americans in this in this survey, taking of, of around 5,000 people, more than half of them have been recently reading their childhood favorite books to kind of, you know, 
relive that time. And a lot of people as well, as they've moved from childhood into adulthood and then they have their own kids, then read their favorite books from their childhood to their kids. Uh, yes. And this is just really awesome, really cool. And I was reading these, the, the different statistics of, you know, what people, um, said were their favorite books growing up. And, and given that, like, this, this survey that was done was by, like, a secular background, it was kind of like, you know, stuff like the Berenstein Bears and the, the Giving Tree and Peter Rabbit and, uh, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, those kinds of things, which are books like, like, I, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Flat. Chocolate Factory, like all the Roald Dahl books, reading in school and whatnot. Um, these are these are all classics. Um, but also, I was I was just reading this and I was thinking about. Okay, so I I didn't grow up Christian, um, and so you know my exposure to books and literature, literature, media outside of my Christian school was just mostly just like secular stuff like this. Um, but every single person that I know who grew up Christian raves and raves about these Uncle Arthur bedtime storybooks yes. being like the greatest thing ever. They're like the fondest memory of their entire childhood is like being with their parents and them reading that book to them. Well, see, my, my father grew up on on Uncle Arthur uh, Bible stories and bedtime stories, uh-huh. which he then passed on to me, which I grew up on, uh-huh. which I then passed on to my children. They grew up on them. And now both of my children have their own sets that they're going to read to my grandchildren. That's four generations of Uncle Arthur right there. Wow. So some of the other ones, some of the other famous ones, you know, because I did grow up in a Christian home. Um, we also grew up on Sam Campbell books. Some of you might remember Sam Campbell books. They've gone through three generations in our family so far. Hmm. Uh, Dr. Paul White, Jungle Doctor books, uh, gone through three generations in our family so far. So oh. this is a real thing. These are books that go through three, you know, go through multiple generations. I believe that they will, you know, easily make it through four generations of reading the same books to our kids. Yes, I was reading this and I felt generous and I thought, hey, if there is a listener out there who would like to um, acquire one of these Uncle Arthur books, we're going to be giving one away at the end of the show. So stay tuned and we'll like, you stay tuned till the end of the show. Then we'll kind of say, hey, first call it through and get this book. We'll give it to you and then you can pass it on to your next 20 generations. Well, maybe the world won't last that long, but you will have the opportunity to have this amazing experience that a lot of people are saying these, they're having this amazing experience, but I know this anecdotally because so many people have told me, oh yeah, my son, well, you've just told us now, my son and their sons and my dad and his dad, everyone, everyone loves this book. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the Uncle Arthur stories are divided into two categories. You've got the Bible stories and yeah. you've got the uh, bedtime stories. And the bedtime stories were all about, you know, character building mm. um, and, and, and building of good habits and, you know, positive things in your life. What I love about the really old Uncle Arthur stories, which you can't, you, you know, I've been out, out of print for a very long time, mm. is, um, you know, these are written for five to 10 year olds. And there was like, in each book, there'd be like two or three stories on gun safety. <laughs> 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 because back then in America, five to ten year olds had guns. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's hilarious. Awesome. That is like hilarious that is a time capsule right there. Yeah, yeah. Hilarious in today's culture to actually see that. But. Ah, that is awesome. Hey, another story I have here, have here. One of my favorite kinds of stories, which is about animal conservation. Um, confirmation has come from India this week. Um, about this basically the amazing success of the uh, great great one-horned rhino, uh, which 50 years ago were down to 100 individuals. So these things have been poached to basically extinction. Um, 
And now, the, like the latest report that has come up, come out at the start of this year is that they have bounced back from, from 150 years ago, 100 individuals to 4,000 individuals in India. Um, and what has really helped them and their numbers is they had a, like a COVID baby boom, you know, because during COVID, their like conservation park and whatnot was closed. All of the, uh, all the rhinos had a lot of free, kind of unsupervised and unwatched time, you know, there was a lot less shyness. And so they just had like a baby boom and now like they've they've jumped up like a thousand new members of the species just in the last two years. So amazing, this fantastic is amazing story. stories and I love rhinos. They're big and just hectic. That's like big and blind. Yeah. And just they're just running and Oh man, like they, get in their way. especially like the, the, um, the greater rhinos, they, they kind of look like they have a suit of armor on the outside, like yes. the way that their skin kind of works. Um, and they're just, they're just the most epic thing ever. And I would never want to see one in real life. Like I, I would want to see one in real life, but I would never want to stand next to one. I think I would. I would. You want to be, you want to be in a vehicle with some, you know, protective that's right. around it, like they have when they do with that's right. Safaris. That's right. You know, cause people talk about rhinos and they're like, Oh yeah, when you see a rhino, like, is 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 a rhino the? I think a rhino is an animal where you like stand your ground or something like that, and and you don't spook it, and then it won't attack you. Yeah, but if you spook it, then you then you're to, you're gone. You're but it, it, man, I would just be like, there are some things that really don't phase me in terms of like being scared. We actually talked about like getting pushed across Niagara Falls in the wheel in the wheelbarrow the other, like the other day on the show. There, there's like like going on roller coasters, jumping off like. <laughs> really high places like that stuff just doesn't scare me at all but seeing a massive rhino like i'm like or like a big snake or like a crocodile or something like that man i'm like oh well my my absolute number one fear is what wasps but uh yeah there's something something about animals that just just freaks me out but anyways uh so but it's good that there's more rhinos because we we want more rhinos than less than less rhinos. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So a couple of text messages coming through here. Uh, Braden says, "Love the Sam Campbell stories. Well, well done, mm. Braden. So if you can get your hands on Sam Campbell stories, look that up. Find them on Amazon or wherever you can find them. They are amazing. I love them so much that uh, I married a, a girl from Wisconsin, producer Shell. She comes from uh, <laughs> well, just down the road from where Sam Campbell wrote his stories, and her uncle was uh, friends with Sam Campbell and. I've been to the lake and I've seen wow. the cabin and the island and all that kind of stuff. So we've also got uh, Raphael who says, Uncle Arthur, Bible stories, what a blessing. I really learnt the stories of the Bible through them. Mm. The blessing was both for my girls and my wife and me as we read them to the children. Absolutely. Th- these are books that you will learn your Bible by reading those stories to your children. Mm. Uh, finally, oh, I only have a minute left to share, and I'll share this one final story. I've just been, like, absolutely enamored with the photos from the Mars rover. I know I talked about it last week, but, like, oh, man, when you when you see the photos of it, like, driving around, and, it like, it looks otherworldly. Like, the atmosphere, everything about it is just so insane. But then you also look, and it's like, man, it's just driving around on a bunch of rocks and dirt. Like, this could be just an area in the Middle East with a different... You know, if if it had, like, a blue, clear sky, this could just be, like, like some, some desert area. But, yeah, it is just absolutely, like, as I'm watching it, I'm like, this is insane. Um, but <laughs> now the Mars rover is about <laughs> to climb up a hill up to a crater, and they're like, in this crater, we could find extraterrestrial life um and 
there is no reason why they've made that claim. They're just like, we could. And I guess they have a headline out of it, which is interesting. But I guess it just gives me another excuse to talk about the Mars rover and how cool it is and how cool the photos are. Like, seriously, do yourself a favor. Look at photos of the Mars rover and just be absolutely perplexed. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. We've got the text messages coming through thick and fast for everybody who is talking about their childhood books that they have passed on to their children. So Mm. let us know what yours were. All right, Lawson, what have you got for clue number two? Clue number two, who am I? My wives and I, man, this guy and his wives. My wives and I were a source of grief to my parents. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, well, you married two wives. It's kind of going to happen, isn't it? It's kind of going to happen. I mean, surprise, surprise. What else were you expecting? The funniest part is that we'll absolutely roast you in the last section. I hadn't even read the next clue. And then the next clue is like, yeah, and it was a big problem in my <laughs> life that I, married, that I married two women. It's a like, very, wow. very bad idea. <laughs> well, if you know the answer, 0491 is the number to call. And if you call or text that number with the correct answer, you can also text, may I enter the quiz? And if you do, you will go in the draw to win Bibleopoly. We are going to draw that at the end of the week. So stay tuned throughout uh, throughout this week until then. And if you continue to answer quizzes correctly, uh, you will also get more entries into the the quiz and have more chance of winning. But 0491 064 669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer. Okay, so coming through on the uh, text message right here, uh, someone says, Too much salt and pepper. That's a Sam Campbell book, uh, one of his series. And Beloved Rascals were my favourites and currently mm. reading Too Much Salt and Pepper. Those That was the name of uh, two porcupines that uh, he had that were wild porcupines, but he had tamed them and was studying them. And they got up to the most hilarious adventures. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Yeah, currently reading them to my eight-year-old and six-year-old. Then some, uh, Susanna has uh, texted and says, I remember winning a best stories book by Uncle Arthur when I was a girl for a sanitarium colouring competition in the newspaper. Excellent book. <laughs> yes. So what were your favourite uh, books as a child that you uh, have passed on to your children and are passing on to your children, reading to your children right now. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> anybody out there with Jungle Doctor stories? Am I the only one who grew up on Jungle Doctor stories? Surely not. Mm. Dr. Paul White with his Jungle Doctor stories were just absolutely epic. Another one that, of course, was uh, favourite from back in the day was Eric B. Hare stories. Mm. Uh, they were fantastic ones. So maybe there's someone out there. Let us know. Have you read Jungle Doctor stories? Have you read Eric B. Hare stories? Or is there some other generational book that uh, has passed on down through generations in your family? I've never read these books. <coughs> yes, I didn't grow up in a Christian. You I, that's, that's right. I did deprived child. I missed. I just. I just you read need, James and the Giant Peach. That was. You need to make a collection of uh, uh, um, Arthur Maxwell, uh, Paul White, Eric B. Hare, and Sam Campbell books for your children. Yeah, these are necessary readings. For, <laughs> reading for children. I, I I agree. I agree. But we'll we'll, cr- we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Okay, Turkey is famous for its underground cities, and some of these underground mm. cities are very large. Uh, probably one of the most famous ones is a one that I will butcher its name, Derinkuyu, uh, which house which was so large. And this is you know, and this is interesting because back in the day when you wanted to build a city, you would defend it with a wall. Mm. Whereas in Turkey, they went a little bit different. They just went underground. That is just And so you could just crazy. drop a rock over the, uh, you know, they have very large rock that would block the entrance and that was it. You just seal off yourself from the outside underground. Uh, this particular city here, you go ahead. I'm just thinking like if you seal yourself off from the rest of the world, 
and no one can get in, then how do you get out? And how do you get fed? <laughs> you just wait until the uh, enemy goes gives up and goes away. Ah, uh-huh. okay. Uh, so, okay. you know, you've got one here that was uh, this one that I'm just mentioning here. It was uh, nearly 300 feet deep, 85 metres. It's a long way down. Wow. Um, it was large enough to have a population of 20,000 people together with livestock and food stores and, of course, water supplies. Um, and, uh, yeah, these are, these are found primarily in the area of Cappadocia mm. in Turkey. And so, you know, some of these are big. They've, you know, they've got schools in them, they've got churches in them, they've got everything you need in them to, to continue uh, living down there underneath the ground. Um, and, of course, they were carved out of soft volcanic rock. Well, they've just found a new one. Well, they found it a couple of years ago, but they've only just come out with this one. And this one housed up to 70,000 people underground. in the underground city. Yes. It's the biggest one ever been discovered, and, like, it's way bigger than anything else that's ever been discovered. Uh, they're having a cleaning and conservation uh, project that was happening back in 2020 and mm. they found the entrance to this place and they went down there and they've suddenly found that, you know, this is a, the largest underground complex, you know, of its type in the world and so far they've only been able to excavate about 3% of it. Uh-huh. And so it's, it's really unknown as to actually how big it might be. Uh, they've pl- found um, a Christian church there. They've found a Jewish synagogue in it. Um, they've found a large hall with a Star of David in it, symbol on one of its walls. They've been able to date it using coins and oil lamps. And so this was built in the second century, so about 100 AD thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in the Midyat district. Um, and this is, this is an area which is a home to Syriac Orthodox Christianity. Mm. Uh, and traditionally, the Syriac church, the Syriac Orthodox church, was part of the church in the wilderness for uh, a, mm. a, a long time. So they were persecuted by the kind of religious powers at that time. And still being persecuted. This wow. is a place where there was a bunch of monasteries and so forth. Um, and, yeah, the, the, the Turkish government since 2016 has been cracking down on these guys big time because it's a, uh, a right-wing Islamic government that is in power at the moment with mm. uh, President Erdogan. And so in 2016, um, there were six ancient Orthodox and Protestant churches in this particular area that were uh, that go back like 1,700 years mm. that were closed down and taken over by the government. Uh, then in 2017, there were another 50 properties. Um, these are made up of monasteries, cemeteries, churches, all belonging to the Syriac Orthodox Church, um, some of them going back 1,500 years that were just taken off by them by the government. The government just came along and said, thank you, we'll have those. Um, and so they, these people also identify themselves as being Assyrian, mm. so Assyrian Christians, and uh, their communities go back a very, very long way, back to the you know the Assyrian Empire. A lot of them, interestingly, still, still speak Aramaic, which was the language that Jesus spoke. Yeah. So there's a, rather than Turkish being their first language, Aramaic is, is their first language. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's pretty interesting stuff. Mm. So definitely one day when uh, tourism is back, really back up and running, this would be some place to go and see. Mm. Okay, so we spoke yesterday, yesterday about the uh, mass shooting in the church in, uh, in Southern California. So this is the Geneva Presbyterian Church in Laguna Woods uh, in Southern California. And we've got some more information. So the perpetrator was uh, a man by the name of David Chu, who's a U.S. citizen but Chinese-born. And, of course, this was a Taiwanese church that was shot up. Um, and he, was, he has very strong, you know, 
hatred towards Taiwanese people okay. because the Chinese Taiwanese relationship, mm-hmm. and so he wanted to just wreak havoc. That's so true. When he said like Taiwanese, because I asked if there was a hate crime, and then you said, "Oh no, this this guy's like Asian, Asian. as well." Well, they didn't. But know. then I'm, but then I'm like, okay, so an Asian person shooting up a Taiwanese church, I'm like, well, there's all, all, already tensions there internationally. So yeah, that's they found a bunch of notes written in his car and so forth that showed that he was you know completely obsessed with Taiwan and had a very strong dislike of Taiwanese people. Mm. Um, they found that. Uh, when he got to the church, he chained all the doors shut and put glue in the locks so that nobody could get out. Um, and they found three bags containing extra ammunition and uh, Molokov cocktails. So that um, you know, this was this was something that was well planned out. He'd, he'd travelled a long distance uh, from Las Vegas to actually get there. Mm. And what happened was, the moment that he opened fire, he was tackled by. This uh, man by the name of Dr. Dr. John Cheng, who was 52 years old, who was able to tackle him to the ground immediately. And as a result of that, there was only one person who died and five people who were injured. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one person who died was Dr. John Cheng. And so he paid for this with his life. But of course, you know, the, the, the sheriffs, when they arrived, you know, 10 minutes later, of course, they had to break in through the doors that were chained shut from the inside. Oh, that's gnarly. Yes. And so um, really, you know, when you look at Cheng's you know, act of bravery in preventing more fatalities, if he hadn't acted instantly and, you know, without even stopping to think about it, probably everyone in that church would have died. Yeah, that's right. You were saying because yesterday, you- like, if everyone just had have scattered... They would have all been stuck. Well, and this is the thing. The, the, the doors were, were glued and chained shut. They wouldn't have been able to get out. Mm. And so he could have, at his leisure, just gone around and executed each one of them. But this shows what it takes to stop a mass shooter because, you know, when seconds count, the police are only minutes away. Mm. Um, and it really it takes somebody giving their life, somebody who's going to run towards the shooter because what happened is that he was tackled by this guy. The guy killed him. But because he was tackled, the rest of the members were able to pile on top. And a lot of them got, you know, five of them got shot as well, but they were able to top, uh, you know, jump on top and tie mm. him up with a uh, power cord and hold him till the police got there. Wow. Greater love has no man than somebody who gives their life. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. This morning we're about to go to interview of the day. Before we do, question clue number three. All right, uh, clue number three. My father said to me, "You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck." Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. We can see some more into personal family trouble taking place here in this person's life after you know their, their wives have caused, caused issue for their parents and now um yeah they're, they're kind of having some issues with their brother as well zero four nine one zero six four six six nine if you call or text and answer correctly you will go into the draw to win our prize for this week which is bibliopoly the board game and uh yeah again that question that clue was sorry my father said to me you will live by the sword and you will serve your brother but when you grow rest Restless, you will grow his, you will throw his yoke from you. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine.
Okay, so we've got another vote coming through here on the text message for uh, Dr. Paul White with his Jungle Doctor stories as far as generational generational children's stories that are fantastic to pass down that you might have grown up with that you can pass on to your children, etc. So I'd love to hear from you. Um, our number, of course, 0491064669. What stories did you grow up with? What books did you grow up with that you've passed on to your children uh, or even grandchildren and so forth. We would love to hear uh, your votes on this one. Joining us on the phone right now is Jennifer Skews to talk about emotional health. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be here. <clears throat> Jennifer, what are we talking about this morning? What's our topic of discussion? Yeah, last week we talked about the survival brain. We started looking at the three-part brain, which is meant to work in harmony, balance and synchrony. And as we know, our brains don't often do that, and we really have to understand how our brain works to help it to work smarter. So we looked at survival and the instinct, and it's not a conscious part of the brain that protects us and goes into fight and flight um, if we need it. This week I'm going to talk about the second brain, and it's, it's really the emotional brain. And the emotional brain is called the limbic system and it's in the centre core of the brain. It's actually the largest area, which doesn't surprise me when you have a look at where such emotional beings. Um, that part of the brain is where we have all our memories, whether they be emotional memories or whether they be memories of an event. Um, and those memories are connected to the five senses. So that means if any of the senses are triggered in a positive or a negative way, we bring up the, the memory of that event. Now, often we don't remember the visual event, but we remember the emotion of the event. And they say we can load a, or even up to 90, even more percent of emotional memory into the present and not know it. So that means we react emotionally, we overreact, and don't realise, well, why am I feeling that way? And it's a bit like what I call the loaded gun principle. Mm. So does that make sense? It does make sense. And it's sort of, you know, when I, you know, you hear this statement that, you know, if there is an emotion that is attached to a memory, you are much more likely to remember that particular event. Is this what's going on here? Is is this why? Yes. Because emotion and memory are housed in the same place. They're wired together, so to speak. Yes. If it's a good memory, we do. We go, oh, I remember when and that smell or that feeling or whatever triggers it and we link it back. But when it's not a good event, when it's traumatic, we tend to shut down the event. We don't want to remember what happened, but the emotion will still come up when it's triggered by one of the senses. And that, as we know, is sight, sound, touch, taste and what we hear. So it's not healthy to bury the connection between the emotion um, because then we can store these memories or these emotions and that's where the brain is loaded emotionally to the point where if the inbox is too full, it's going to burst or spill out and then people have what we call a meltdown or emotionally, I can't stop crying, I don't know what's wrong with me and it's emotions that are causing it. Mm. Um, the brain has barom emotional barometers. For example, anxiety is a prime one where when we feel anxious and we don't deal with it and reduce our anxiety, it, it's uh, added into the emotional brain. It's like a thermometer or a barometer that it goes up and then we add in and add in and people who have anxiety disorders have an incredible loading of anxiety from the past 
that they're not aware of in the present and they don't know why they're feeling so anxious. So part of treatment, of course, is to help them sometimes to connect events, working out how to download that that uh, barometer, you know, to bring it back to a better level. Um, so anything is changeable because the emotional brain, it has two memory banks of what we call neuroplastic. So this is where the brain will grow and um, a lot of what we do in our lifestyle and our habits and what we think can add in um, new cells. Um, and this is an amazing thing where the, the actual brain can produce new cells and make new links. So if something's damaged, even in the emotional brain, with the right effort in the present, we can start to restructure the brain and renew it. We regenerate it. So it's pretty amazing. That is incredibly amazing and it's incredibly encouraging too because, you know, a lot of people that are struggling with depression or anxiety, you know, they sort of, you know, they they, they ask this question, you know, this is going to be my life forever, am I always going to be like this? But what you're saying is that the brain can be healed. Um, It has a healing mechanism much like, you know, for instance, if you catch COVID or something or other, which I had recently, you know, there's a healing mechanism that the immune system kicks in and... Um, and heals your body of that virus, what you're saying then is that the brain is actually created in such a way that it will heal itself as well, given the right environment. Absolutely. God has given us a self-healing mechanism throughout the whole system. If we give it the right information and the right environment, and that is physically, mentally, emotionally, and I believe spiritually. So we can, the brain can change. It's constantly changing. And used to be, earlier history where the brain was, you know, you're born and your brain develops and then the cells die and we get worse as we get older. And that's not true. We're going the wrong way. We should be improving as we get older because we can learn, we can gain wisdom and we can regenerate the brain to then use that. Um, So part of what I do, obviously, is help people to deal with the emotion that is coming up in the present, Um, not going back to the event, but having a look at what that means in the present and understanding they're emotionally loading and it's out of proportion to the event and then we can work with it. So it's, uh, yeah. So imagine when a person is emotionally loaded then, their decision-making or their rational decision-making capability would be very impaired by that. Absolutely, and that's where we make bad decisions that aren't good for us. We might say things that are emotionally loaded and upset ourselves and others. So there's lots of negatives when we don't deal with the emotions that are coming up um, and what I call downloading, and that's where it's a whole system. It's not just the emotional brain. This is where the three brains work together. Um, so with the emotional brain, if, if that's highly active, then it influences the third brain, which is your thinking rational brain. And that will then add into the problem. You know, how often do you think, oh, this is terrible, I'll never get over it. You know, we have all these negative thoughts that actually feed and increase the barometers in the emotional brain. Okay, so, so this if, is real. Yeah, if we've got a, a um, if we've got an emotional brain where the emotion is is, uh, is is in control and that leads to bad decisions, I'm just sort of thinking then bad decisions are going to lead to bad outcomes. Bad outcomes are going to lead to negative emotions, which are going to yep. lead to, and you've got a, you, you see where I'm going with this, with a vicious cycle that cycles out of control. And it Absolutely. seems to me a, a key to this here would be to break that cycle at some particular point yep. and to start reversing that. Absolutely. 
And that's where it's like we have a negatively geared brain that keeps generating, I call them problem generators. We go from one to the next instead of solution generators. So I help people to look at the problem and solve the problem, like the solution. Um, for example, anxiety is always future projection. So we, yeah, sure, if something happens in the present that is uncomfortable, we can feel anxious, but often then we project it. And then it's uh, the what if. What if? What if I don't cope? What if they don't like me? What if I look wrong, sound wrong? You know, we have all these fears and that loads the emotional brain um, and we get caught up in that what if syndrome. So instead of solving the problem, we create the problem. So, and this is where you work what we call cognitively and help restructure the thinking in the brain and identify those thoughts that are sabotaging us and re I guess reinvent the brain in finding new ways of thinking that we're not doing um, and that will correct it. So we can actually soothe the emotions by the way we think or we can fuel them. So we've got two choices there. How, how easy is it for a person to actually recognise that they are, have an emotional brain and they are operating emotionally rather than rationally? Do we always feel like we're, we're making rational decisions when we're actually making emotional decisions? We can. We can deceive ourselves. It felt right. I think, oh, but it felt so right. and it, Oh, it was terrible. And so this is where what we call fickle feelings. You cannot rely on your feelings. You have to use that thinking brain to assess what's happening. Is that a good decision? What evidence is there? Um, and if you're thinking emotionally, you can't do that. So this is where it's training people to help them to um, rewire that brain and get off of that emotional loading and find different ways of doing it. Um, I often find when I ask people, well, what were you thinking? And they had a terrible event and they're anxious. Oh, I don't know. They often say they don't know or they, you know, so we have to estimate their thinking and which I can do for them. And they go, oh, yes, that's what, well, so I get them to identify the thinking processes so we can start changing them. And it's easier to identify emotions for a lot of people than it is to what, they, what they're thinking. Mm. So it's a good chance. Identify your thoughts. Listen to what you're thinking during the day. I mean, when you've been working with somebody, you know, obviously for some time and they're able to get their emotions under control so that they can make rational decisions again, is it, you know, is it, is it easy for them to slip back into that um, emotional, um, I guess, yeah. vicious cycle? Like, you know, they might be going going well for a while and suddenly, you know, a memory pops up or there might be, you know, a smell or a sight or something or other that triggers something and spins them back out of control again? Yes, um, that certainly can happen. We actually house the memory of a habit or a process or something. Like we've worked at changing, whether it be an emotional habit or whatever physical habit, it's stored in the outer core of the brain. So we do have a residue of any habit we've dealt with that isn't we don't want anymore. And when you're tired, when you're down, when uh, you're not eating properly, your blood sugars might be low or whatever, it allows the brain can actually resurrect that. You know, I see it as, you know, in the, the Bible it talks about the fallen nature or carnal nature. So it's like it's there to be activated because we don't want it anymore. Um, and then, then we beat ourselves up. No, oh, I wasn't going to do that again. And we do all this negative self-talk. Yeah. So the so old, man, the old, the old man, the old, the old us dies as a result of uh, coming to Christ. But then uh, it likes to come back to life again. Likes to resurrect. Yes, and it is a, um, a battle, a bit of a battle. I call it a battle of the mind. 
Mm-hmm. But it's certainly worth it, and that's where spiritually we need help to do that. And that's where what we pray for and what we study and learn about God and how the Spirit works in our life is powerful in helping that change and transition. Uh, well, that was where I wanted to head to with this, because just listening to what you're saying, it seems to me that you know there's a whole lot of you know there's the, there's the old the old self which is you know driven by emotions and. Yeah. You know, whatever else that might be creating these vicious circles, but then there is the new person that a person becomes when they give their life to Jesus Christ. And, and, and the Bible talks about the old self dying, and it seems that, that, that this is a great illustration of what happens when a person is able to move from emotional decision-making to rational decision-making is the old self dying and a new person um, coming, a new person in Christ. Oh, Absolutely. And we can, and we're not on our own to do that, but we do have a part to play. God's given us a good mind and we need to learn to use it as he would want us to do, and that is uh, get off of those emotional roller coasters and balance. It's, It's not about not having feelings. Feelings are wonderful when they're the right feelings, but we have to be careful with that. Mm. So we can enjoy the journey instead of suffering. That's, I guess, the principle. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And it seems to me that, you know, the greatest way to get off that emotional roller coaster is to, um, rather than focusing on ourselves and where where, where I'm at and all that kind of stuff, to start to focus on Jesus Christ and to, you know, spend time with God, spend time in the Bible, connecting with God, seems to me to be a great idea as far as as breaking that cycle. Absolutely. And also doing things for others, to get out of yourself, because self is terrible, but if you see others and they need help or you volunteer, I get people who are depressed to do some volunteer work and it makes a huge difference because they're focusing out of themselves instead of their own misery. Mm. So there's a lot we can do just to go for a walk, enjoy the day, call a friend. You know, there's things that I get people to do that they stop doing when they're not coping and uh, it definitely helps. So we've got a part to play as well. We've got free will we can choose. Absolutely. Jennifer Skews, thank you so much for joining us here once again on The Breakfast Show. We're going to move on. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.